0: The Adriatic resorts of Croatia have made the top ten list for many travelers in recent years. But just next door, the country of Bosnia-Herzegovina barely gets noticed. Right now on Travel with Rick Steves, we're about to change that as we head inland to explore a real backdoor destination with plenty of stories to tell at a fraction of the cost of the trendy coast. Our guides are American Ben Curtis. He's a geopolitics instructor whose specialty is Southeast Europe. Sanel Maric is a teacher and tour guide who grew up near historic Mostar, where he now lives, and journalist and tour guide Amir Telebichirovich. Thanks in advance for helping me with that. Amir comes to us from Bosnia's capital, Sarajevo, which the world got to know during the 1984 Winter Olympics and the bloody war that broke out eight years later. But there's been a whole generation to heal since then, and there's been a lot worth exploring in this hidden corner of the Balkans. Amir, when you think of the name of the country, Bosnia and
1: Herzegovina, <laughs> why is that? <laughs> Welcome to the club. People are asking the same question. It's enough just to say Bosnia. So when you right. say, for example, the United States of America, many people around the world wouldn't bother saying the entire official name. They just say America. So in the case of Bosnia, you don't need to say Bosnia and Herzegovina, although its official name but there's yeah, a
0: place called Herzegovina, is yes. there? Would the people in Herzegovina say the same yes, thing? Yes,
1: that's where the Sanal lives. And uh, But uh, it's not like two countries being pulled together. It's okay. still one country. There is no boundary between what is Bosnia and what is Herzegovina. It's still one country except in climate. <laughs> so more continental climate where I live, which is Bosnia, in northern thing. side. And more Mediterranean climate where Sana lives, and it's only two hours in between. Well, wow. so we can just say so, Bosnia
0: for this area. Yeah, Ben Curtis, uh, there's a, a complicated mix of ethnicities and religions. Give us just the the context here, as simply as you can, to understand why would people be fighting, and and what heritage did they inherit here, and what is the ethnic
2: and religious lay of the land in mm-hmm. Bosnia. Right. So, uh, some of the things that make Bosnia so fascinating is it's just a little bit different from what you would think of as most European history in that there's this medieval Bosnian state but it had a different minority Christian sect that wasn't really like that in most anywhere else in Europe. And then you have the Ottoman Turks uh, invading in the 15th century primarily. And so then the Ottomans rule this bit of southeastern Europe for 400 plus years until at the end of the 1800s you come and have the Habsburgs come in and start to modernize things. But because of this different states, different people ruling it, uh, and the people who are living there, you have a fascinating mixture of religions that doesn't exist quite anywhere else, and that's Muslims. It's Orthodox Christians who are identified typically as Serbian people and uh, Catholics Christians who identify typically as Croats, and they all live there right together and for much of the history have gotten along, but occasionally there's some sparks and uh, things are not quite so peaceful. This is where East meets West, literally. Literally, yeah, exactly. And sometimes people see that as maybe a flashpoint, but also it's one of the things that makes Bosnia so fascinating, is it is where East meets West. It's where you have these cultures rubbing right up against each other.
0: Because you have that wonderful mix. It it shows itself in the music. It shows itself in the cuisine. It it shows itself in the architecture. You know, if I put it very simplistically, if you think of Serbs, Croats, and Bosniaks, Bosniaks, Mm -hmm. basically, the blood of the people, the ethnicity, is essentially the same, but one has a Muslim heritage, one has a Orthodox Christian heritage and the other has a Catholic heritage? Is that fair to say?
2: Exactly. And the, the language they speak is all almost identical. <laughs>
0: and they, one
2: group would call it Slovak or Bosnian. Bosnian versus Serbian versus okay. Croatian, yeah.
0: And then there was so much fighting in Bosnia, in part because there were not tiny minorities, but there were big minorities. They're too easy just to sweep away.
2: Yeah, I mean, and they were intermixed and, you know, without going too deep into the the atrocities of the 1990s, you had these terrible political leaders who wanted to separate people who had gotten along for decades and centuries for pretty nefarious political ends but they sparked fighting and they sparked this Mm -hmm. kind of neighbor-to-neighbor conflict
0: and without bogging down on that today it's quite remarkable how things are coming together and there's a lightness and an energy and a a focus on the future and the the children of these combatants are i'd say doing pretty well
2: i mean there's definitely some challenges right right. you know uh, bosnia uh, has some political hurdles to leap and, interestingly, some lessons for the rest of the world on that one. Yeah. But there's a lot of people working to make things better.
0: And, uh, Sano, Sarajevo is a, a city that American students of history know because of 1914 and the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that kicked off World War One. But what's Sarajevo feel like today?
3: Well, uh, I would say a lot of times you hear it as uh, European Jerusalem. There is this blend of cultures that kind of created a unique atmosphere when you go there. Just walking the streets, you're gonna see um, all these layers of history through the architecture on the streets, and then um, walking to the Bashar Shia, which is kind of coming from the Ottoman uh, Empire, which is now a soul of Sarajevo city, which kind of everybody meets around the, uh, the main cathedral, which is still a meeting point in Sarajevo for generations. So I would say it is a uh, very small, but still very beautiful and very interesting capital in, in this part of Europe.
0: You know, when you, when you mentioned the name of uh, the market, I was thinking, if Istanbul is like a, a big octopus, culturally, one of its arms, the very end of that arm, the last tentacle, might be Sarajevo, historically. Because you have that sense of, this is Ottoman. And uh, you think of the Turks, and that brings such color and character there. That's the big capital city. Amir, how would you compare Sarajevo to Mostar? Because Mostar is a more cute, touristic town, much closer to Dubrovnik, therefore easier for most of the tourists to visit. How does Sarajevo and Mostar compare the, the two most important cities to see in Bosnia?
1: Well, I started with a climate, Sarajevo has more continental climate and it's in a higher elevation than Mostar, so it's colder and Mostar is hotter. But architecturally Mostar for me is more, I might be subjective on this, Ottoman influenced, Mm -hmm. you know, on the culture and architectural. Sarajevo is just bigger because it's the capital. So if you like skiing, you would go to Sarajevo. If -hmm. you like uh, summer vacation, you would go to Mostar. If you like good food, you would go to both.
0: But Mostar would be a, a different sort of environment. But uh, it really is a, a city that uh, has a poignancy because mm-hmm. of, uh, it, to me, it's, it's symbolic of the war, but also symbolic of coming together after the war. Yeah. This is an important thing to understand when we go to Mostar. Amir, if somebody is going to Mostar, what sort of context should they understand before they come there?
1: The conflict was not simply neighbor against neighbor, uh, mm-hmm. because neighboring countries were involved too. It wasn't just internal Bosnian conflict. Mm-hmm. It was international in a way. So for people, it's important to understand that people coexisted peacefully together before that war, during the war, and after the war. So it's not that black and white, you know, to mm-hmm. understand it. That's when it comes to war. When it comes to uh, architecture, beauty, that's what makes Ma- Mostar special, and not only in the famous bridge. In generally, most of the people who come there, they say they feel exactly what you said. Tiny little Istanbul is there. Mm. and in Sarajevo would be try to t- imagine you take a tiny little piece of Budapest tiny little piece of Istanbul tiny little piece of Vienna yeah, yeah. you scramble them together you get Sarajevo
0: I love that this is travel with Rick Steves mm. we're talking with Sanel Marek we're talking with Ben Curtis and we're talking with Amir <laughs> thank you and we're talking about Bosnia our phone number is 8773337425 Nancy's calling in from Chesapeake in Virginia have you been to mostar
4: yes. I've been to both Mostar and Sarajevo back in 2010.
0: And how would you characterize the two towns? How was your experience?
4: Oh, I loved it. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever been in in that part of the world. And uh, Mostar was where we went first. And I just loved the Starry Most Bridge and all of the architecture and the cobblestone streets. And Mm. it just was amazing. It was, I mean, both my husband and I were walking down the street and, We both said, this feels like Disneyland, you know. It just felt like a place, obviously, we'd never been, and just such a world apart from the United States.
0: Nancy, do you remember the kids on the top of the bridge jumping in for coins? Yep. I wondered, because every time I'm there, there's these daredevil kids in their swimming trunks, and they're standing on the top of this pointed bridge. It's breathtaking just to see them standing on the tip of this pointed bridge. And if enough people give enough coins, their buddies are running around collecting coins, and they egg you on and they gain more and more money. And finally, when they reach that uh, enough money,
3: they dive into the river. Sanal, have you seen that? Many times. I mean, it's when you live there, it's hard to miss.
0: You know, that bridge, just to me, I went there as a student, and it, it reminded me of East and West coming together and holding hands. It's this elegant Muslim-style bridge from the East and deep in what I considered Europe. And... Uh, In the war, it was just pummeled and pummeled and pummeled from um, bombardments from the hillside because it was symbolic of togetherness. And then it just finally took one punch too many, and all those beautiful rocks tumbled into that river. And I was in a theater with people from all over former Yugoslavia watching the video of that right there in Mostar, and you could hear the, the gasp when it went down. They had all seen this many times, but to be there with people from all the different groups of Yugoslavia, watching that, and it finally fell. It was just so sad. Thankfully, it's been rebuilt now, and uh, the kids are jumping off the top again, and it's sort of a celebration. Yeah. And how was your experience yeah, in uh, in Sarajevo, Nancy?
4: It was great, too. And I don't remember the name of it, but the market area was so interesting. And, and one of the things I loved about it, which is obviously very European, was just all the people sitting in cafes outside mm-hmm. and just how serious their coffee drinking is. <laughs>
0: So now, Nancy was there 10 years ago, you guys. Uh, She's wondering how it is
1: now. How much change would you see, Amir? Nancy described Sarajevo pretty much and Mostar as today. So uh, what she saw is, you know, we can still see there. However, speaking of changes, I'm not talking about political changes because there are hardly any Uh, social changes. There are much more uh, refugees these days in Bosnia, immigrants and refugees coming from the Middle East on the way to Germany, and they stuck in Bosnia. Right now, you know, they in a the big need of help. Winters are very harsh over there. And um, local government seemed kind of like helpless, you know, in helping them. So if you would go there now, you would see the same thing, you know, people sitting, having coffee, but much more refugees and immigrants sleeping in the parks.
4: One of the things I noticed in Mostar was not in the older part of the city, but in the newer part of the city, there were a lot of buildings that were, like one building had been restored since the war and the other one still sat empty with, you know bullet holes in the in it. And I just wondered how much of that has been, you know, how much of the renovation has been completed in those parts of, of Mostar.
3: You're still going to find every now and there a building with the bullet holes, but I would say around 85, 90 percent, it's already been fixed. The nice facade has been, you know, pulled back to the building. And those who have left, it's just a problem of ownership. When we get out of Yugoslavia, the ownership didn't sit well with, and it's still kind of in a process who will get to take these properties, and that's the only reason why it stands there.
0: Because the bank is gone, the mortgage yes, is gone, yes, and, yes. Uh, and who's going to invest in the building And some of the companies who own.
3: owned it do not exist anymore. Right. So it's kind of like what we do with these things.
0: Nancy, thanks for your call.
4: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Our guides to Bosnia-Herzegovina right now on Travel with Rick Steves are Sanel Maric, he's a teacher and tour guide from Mostar, Amir Telebacirovic, a journalist and tour guide from Sarajevo, and Ben Curtis, a tour guide and Balkan history expert whose books include A Traveler's History of Croatia. And, uh, Sanel, so you actually work in an NGO that that helps Bosnia heal, and it, it is related to its difficult past and its refugees. Can you uh, briefly explain yes, the work you're uh, doing with this, uh, so with this it, very it good work? Started,
3: first of all, we have been refugees within our own country as a part of uh, ethnic cleansing in the certain areas that we live So I spent uh, roughly 9 years uh, outside of my hometown, just 40 kilometers away, but I couldn't come back because my house and, you know, everything that we had was given to some other people to live. And it was a very long struggle to get it back. And when you come back to your hometown, you were an outsider. You're no longer welcome. So we struggled with these things and we were very young. We were students at a time when we were doing these things and we wanted to do some change. So we start organizing and we found uh, several NGOs and we are trying to bridge these things. And it's not easy in most of the times because when you start to do these things uh, after the war, when the wounds are still fresh, uh, then you are not accepted by both sides. But um, I think we've done a very good job, especially dealing with youngsters, providing programs. So we have volunteers from all around the and world coming to work with us, work with kids and trying to provide them uh, just to give them an example that world is a little bit more brighter and better than what they saw. And it's not just black and white. It's mm-hmm. like all these beautiful colors. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is since we cannot take them to the world, let's bring world to them.
0: And what is the name of the organization? that you? So
3: the or- organization is named Orhidea, or the Orchid, by the flower, and the other one is called uh, Association Iskra, like a spark.
0: So the Orchid and the Spark. The Spark, Iskra. yeah. Good Iskra. luck with that work. It sounds Thank like you. very important work. And this has been such an interesting conversation. I want to just wrap things up with each of you. Uh, you're all guides. When you take your American visitors through Bosnia, I'd like you to share a fun highlight of the experience when you have the privilege and the responsibility of taking a, a group of Americans through Bosnia. Ben, can we start with you?
2: Well, one of the things I absolutely love about Bosnia is that it's not slick. There's hardly anywhere that's, like, super polished and, you know, gleaming, amazing, like, you know, Swiss efficiency or something like that. But to me, that's charming. It's rustic in the best sense. So I'll just tell one story uh, of what I love about kind of Bosnian rustic travel. So a few years ago, I was visiting a friend in Sarajevo. We went hiking in the mountains, which I encourage anyone who goes to Sarajevo to spend at least one day, get up to the mountains. We came to this kind of little restaurant up in some tiny village and, you know, said, hey, are you open? Said, well, not really, but for you, we'll open. And so we sat there. They made these incredible savory pies, stuffed with spinach and cheese. They had yogurt from their own cows. You drink it with as you're eating the pie. And you sit there for an hour in an incredible mountain landscape, eat this incredible homegrown organic food, and life slows down, and it's beautiful, and you don't need to rush, 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 and you don't need to you know, worry about ticking off a list of sites. You just soak up the ambiance of a beautiful country with uh, a really like relaxed and amazing culture, and that kind of just slowing down to appreciate this other side that is rustic that is authentic that's something that I wish everybody could go and see in Bosnia
0: Wow Ben hearing you say that I just think so many of us spend our lifetime going back to Salzburg and Venice and Rotenburg and Paris and those are all great but you could go to Bosnia you don't need to be a hero you don't need to be a scholar you don't need to be a risk taker Mm -hmm. perfectly safe and you'll have that kind of unpolished diamond-in-the-rough kind of cultural experience. Exactly.
2: It's easy for Americans. It is totally safe. There's nothing to worry about. And one thing I always tell people is, I mean, I know, Rick, that kind of travel as a political act is important to you and ethical tourism is, is important to you. And bringing your tourism dollars to Bosnia is really important because the economy is not great there. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of mom-and-pop businesses. And mm-hmm. your dollars go into families' pockets. Beautiful. Thank you. Sanel what's a, a
0: gratifying experience that you have when you take your visitors to your home country?
3: Seeing the notion with a group, when they realize, first of all, how blessed they are, and uh, seeing what war does to people, what war does to country. I expose them to all this. I take my groups to visit my NGO, to sit with these kids, to to talk, and they can see uh, how much can be accomplished with little.
0: So now that is an eloquent summary of the value of travel in a reality setting. Bosnia is reality, and it's welcoming. I would think with an experience in Bosnia like you can share with your visitors. You wonder, do the people who send us so readily to war understand what war is? You can think, do the people that that never leave their country understand how blessed they are to have stability and affluence? Mm -hmm. And do people realize how much we can make a difference when we roll up our sleeves and help out? Those are three fundamental kinds of enlightenment you get when you travel, and if you stay home, you can never have it. Exactly. Thank you. Amir, what's a, a bit of gratification you get from taking American
1: visitors around Bosnia? What's a highlight for you as a guide? There's something that you realize, similar to what you just said some minutes earlier, when you said tentacles from Istanbul to Bosnia. When Bosnia was a part of the vast Ottoman Empire, from Istanbul, it was considered to be the most western peak of the vast empire. Later, when it became part of the Habsburg Empire, from the Vienna, it was considered to be the most eastern peak of the vast empire. That's one thing that explains, yeah. you know, like this blend of different cultures and civilization. Other thing is food, something that Bosnia was known in the region, and now we're more international. That's uh, great. So that's one of the things that Bosnia is known. Uh, you asked me about positive side. That food was always there before, during the conflict, and after, the, and it still is. Tell uh, me, like in Bosnian in uh, in Bosnian language, the three dishes I should eat when I come to Surrey. Okay, uh, cevapi, pita, or bulak, some other people say, Or uh, cakes, like everybody knows baklava, that's international. But there's something local. These are the top. These are like holy trinity, bulek, cevapcici, and uh, pita in general. Pita is just Boston version for pie, but you need to go under to discover there is a mountain of good food over there. And it's in a land where the tentacles
0: of the Habsburg octopus from Vienna reach the tentacles of the Ottoman octopus. A- and they embrace each from other. in Istanbul. And they come together there, and it's uh, a tasty experience. This is Travel with Rick Steves. It's been so great to have all of you helping us out. Sanel Marek, Ben Curtis, and Amir Talibetselević. <laughs> Happy travels. Thank you. And uh, I'm heading over to Bosnia as soon as I get a chance. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
3: you. You're welcome.
4: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.